Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. I'm an MBA candidate at the Wharton School and an MA candidate at the Lauder Institute at the University of Pennsylvania. Our guest today is David Breer. He's the founder and CEO of 11FS, a fintech-focused challenger consultancy building out new propositions and ventures in the UK, US, Europe, and Asia for some of the biggest brands on the planet. Since his dream of being a sports person was crashed, along with the ligaments in his knee, and he had to get a proper job, he has worked in pretty much every angle of the financial services industry, having pitched, established, and run billion-dollar transformations for some of the biggest financial services companies on the planet. He also argues that digital banking is only 1% finished, and this realization spurred his desire to establish an organization that can actually make it happen. David graduated from the University of East Anglia with a computing and business management degree. And now, without further ado, let's dive into my conversation with David Breer. All right, well, David, thank you for joining us on the Wharton FinTech Podcast. Uh, can we start by you telling us a little bit about yourself and your personal background? Yeah, sure. Uh, so my name is David Breer. I'm the CEO of a little company called 11FS. My background, I don't really consider myself a businessman, if I'm honest with you, because I think I learned pretty much everything I know about working in business, actually just from playing team sports. So I, I kind of started on that route doing way back in the day when I was uh, doing A-levels in, uh, in the UK. I was doing human biology, sports science with a view to playing some sort of sport. I played 11 different county sports. And uh, sadly, unfortunately, after all three ligaments in my left knee being torn, I uh, had to get a proper job, unfortunately. So changed up my uh, focus, moved to mathematics and computing and business studies and kind of went down a different route, really. My dad was pretty good on the sort of inspiration on those side of things. He gave me a stack of papers, told me to pick an industry that looked like it would be broken long enough for me to be ready to fix it when I came out of my sort of degrees. And yeah, I plumbed for financial services with computing sort of on the, the side of that. And yeah, the rest is history, really. Great. How have you seen the, the industry evolve since, since you joined? I, I imagine it was more than a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah, hugely. I mean, my first taste of banking really was joining a bank in 2008, which for anybody listening to this, so the sort of financial crisis really kicked in around about that time. So being on the inside of a really big organization when they're going through such an amazing downturn, you know, seeing the markets change so dramatically, seeing focuses within those organizations change so dramatically. And then with the rise of everything that the internet has brought along, you know, the distributed capability that the internet has really facilitated is it's changed every industry and, and financial services is is definitely not uh, exempt to that so you know the rise of the mobile phone the rise of really connected communities and really the rise of fintech you know we've seen the opportunities that really changes in attitudes of global financial services regulators has brought about just such a an amazingly different level of competition in in this market and ultimately that's been fantastic to experience that journey but but really that's fantastic for customers because greater competition in any market always leads to a, a better level of service and right now we've got more choice and better choice than than ever before in the global financial services market and yeah for us that's a that's a pretty good thing 
Yeah, and, and you join at an interesting time, right? Because the financial crisis was unraveling, but also that gave birth to the, I guess, the current wave of fintech that we're experiencing. Absolutely, yeah. The uh, We always say the opportunity that's really been left on the table by those really large incumbents. I mean, arguably, 11FS, we talk about this a lot, but the you know, the, the financial services industry has got kind of caught up in what it was tremendously good at. You know, the banks have, we should say, you know, banks have been ridiculously successful for two to 300 years. And that's led to them becoming a little bit apathetic to really what made them successful in the first place. You know, it was do something really, really well, you know, listen to customers, deliver on that promise, deliver things really effectively. And in the worlds that they knew in that analog space where, you know, the branch was the most important thing and where you had your real estate on the high street was the connectivity that you had with customers. In this mix of transition from the analog world where paper, paper and people and real estate was really, really important to this digital world where actually, you know, trust and brands and distribution of messages is fundamentally different. They've sort of got caught up in this sort of digitized space where they're, they're spending, you know, billions of dollars to invest in digitizing the processes that they have. And very often what they're focused on is kind of taking the old form factor and just replicating it in the digital world. And obviously, you'll know this, and we all know this from from using contextual services that are provided through social networks or e-commerce players. Digital and the virtues of digital are far more than just pieces of paper on an internet website. So for us, it's it's really a, you know, a great opportunity in, in the, the landscape that there is today, because actually these big organizations have millions and millions of customers, but really need to rethink how they go about what they're doing. And that's not just the things that they expose to consumers. Actually, it's the, the things that they do for their employees as well. A digital impact is not just a mobile app or a, or a website. It's a fundamental operating system within your organization. So there's uh, lots and lots and lots of interesting things to be done. And that's great for me. Yeah, people talk a lot about the cost of legacy systems, but there's also the legacy mentality that these banks have. 100%. And that is so much more impactful. You can read every book you like about, uh, you know, cultural transformation, the accelerators of good culture versus bad culture, and, you know, leaders versus managers, and all of these different kind of things. But the the fundamental for me is, and we say this with LFFS, is there's really only two things that matter in every organization. It's culture and talent. If you have the right talent and you can create the right culture to actually unleash the potential within those people, doesn't matter what you're doing. Doesn't matter if you're a manufacturer, fintech, a healthcare provider, or a TV company, whatever it is. If you can create an environment where you've got a great balance for those two things, then actually you gain momentum and it becomes magnetic for them. By doing those two things well, it will become more magnetic for talent to come to the organization. It'll become more magnetic for really interesting things to kind of come to you, whether it be customers or problems with uh, clients to solve. So, and that's really what we've focused on with 11FS. It's uh, how can you get that momentum and the, the meaning behind the things that you're really trying to do? And once you've got that, the momentum in that brings you all of the different opportunities that have presented themselves to us over the last just over four years now. So that's a, that's a good segue for 11FS. You know, would love to learn about 11FS, its origins. You're currently leading it, the CEO. That hasn't always been the case. So love to hear about your journey and also educate us a little bit on 11FS. 
Yeah, sure. I should sort of complete the backdrop slightly. I mean, my, my background before this, before starting 11FS, I ran Gartner's big global uh, research houses, digital banking capability. Before that, Infosys, who are a big Indian offshoring company. I've been in banks, client sides with their transformation programs and actually big insurance companies as well. So my sort of thesis when we when I went through that, seeing financial services from all of these different angles is exactly as I've just said a second ago, the, the ecosystem around financial services has changed so dramatically. The things that used to take a thousand people to do now require 10 who are really, really good. You know, you've got technology being created and commoditized quicker than ever before. Uh, things like cloud services, things like artificial intelligence, are all really sort of coming to the front, coming to the fray. So for us, I mean, we talked with 11FS about digital banking really only being 1% finished because with all of the regulatory change, with the global expectations of what financial services actually is rising by the day, then actually there's 99% of this journey still to go ahead of us. I think it is the fundamentally the best time to be working in financial services because there's just so many amazing things that are kind of happening in the space. What we set out to do with 11FS was really about taking startup mentalities and methodologies and really applying them against big organizational problems. And over the last four years since I founded the company, we've, I mean, we've built a new bank for NatWest in the UK called Metal over in Hong Kong with Standard Chartered, pit players like Grab over in Singapore. We're, we've actually got in Beta right now, a retail bank over in the US that we're building with somebody down in South Africa, all over the planet, actually, in terms of this change towards well, if you get 50 people who are really, really smart, really, really motivated, who believe in the proposition in the way that many fintechs come to market, and you unleash that potential within them, within a really big organization, you can almost teach those old dogs a little bit of a, a new trick when it comes to how to create multidisciplinary teams that are shaped around really de delivering against customers' problems. So, I mean, 11FS is a two-sided business. There's a services side of things that are building out these banks. And then there's a product side, which were almost pattern recognizing the things that we're seeing in the market, and then building out products that we think really solve that problem. Fundamentally, the, the thing that we set out as our vision is about changing the fabric of financial services. Because when you look at everything that's happening, then the, the real deep underlying principles of what it means to be a financial services player in, in 2020, you know, with everything that's happening with COVID now, then the level of support that actually big financial players can actually give to consumers is greater than ever before. So really what that underlying fabric of financial services is, all of those things are up for grabs, whether it's core banking systems, payments rails, or actually just where FS is integrated into. And again, if we were doing this in uh, you know 1990 or 1980, then you know we'd be talking about how how amazing plastic card was. But the innovations in this space is, is happening every week, and you know for me that keeps me uh, keeps me very entertained. Right? How big is the company? Uh, so we're just short of 200 people now. So which is uh, pretty good growth for for kind of four years. I'd say probably about 60 of them are split into the product side of the business right now, with the rest of them focusing more onto the the services side of the business. That makes sense. And how have you built this team? And particularly as a now international company, right? I imagine that's one of your challenges. 
Yeah, I mean, talent is talent is absolutely everything. So actually, you know, how you bring people together, but also um, bringing the right type of talent together, because you can find people who revere their own talent really quickly. But actually finding people who revere each other's talents is, is really, really important. I mean, one of our core values is embracing your weird. Uh, and what we mean by that is actually we want to find people who are so passionate about the things that they do, whether it could be audio engineering or it could be design, it could be product, whatever. But actually, you really want people who are deeply positive, deeply passionate about their craft. And beyond that, actually finding people who not only have that for them themselves, but have a fascination about other people's skill sets as well. And if you can do those two things, I mean, re recruiting really, really heavily on cultural fit is really, really important to us. So getting that fit right means actually all of these pieces fit together. It's like having a, an orchestra and actually making sure that actually all of the you know, we, we are good at kind of setting the metronome and the conduction for the music that we want to create, but just making sure that actually we've got the right types of players playing the right types of instruments to um, make the right type of music, I guess. Great. And so you have uh, the services side, you have the product side, but you also have a big media presence with multiple podcasts and then morning shows, you name it, right? Was that always part of the strategy or did that evolve over time? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's sort of part of our brand to a certain degree. I mean, we're a really big believer in uh, transparency. You know, actually, we show our working out with everything that we do. We have a podcast with three people from 11FS and a couple of people from the industry, and we'll get things wrong, and we'll put all that stuff out because it's not about – I think so many companies put such a veneer on, you know, always being correct or everybody having the corporate view – and everybody's sort of sticking to that party line. But for us, this is, um, this is a community. You know, we run our business, we put out lots of content, we put out lots of research. And actually, we, we do that because we believe that, I mean, 11FS can only do so much. If we really believe in this vision of, of changing the fabric of financial services, we have to pull together different elements within that community to ensure that actually, we all really push this industry forward. So, I mean, for us at the beginning, when it was five of us, then, you know, our ability to go toe to toe with, you know, organizations that spend 50 million a year on marketing, actually, there's, there was no way that we were going to be able to, to sort of, you know, be in their league or win work from them. And actually, even then, uh, doing marketing in the way that traditional companies do marketing for me, leads to a, a very different level of communication and a very different level of connection that they have with people. For us, I mean, you say about the podcast, you know, our FinTech Insider podcast goes out. It's like 185, 186 countries a week, you know, up there in the charts every week in the business podcast charts. And actually for us, that just creates a very different level of connections with people. Because if somebody like this right now, there'll be somebody listening to this, walking their dog or cutting the grass or, you know, choosing to do this uh, in their personal time. And that creates such a different level of connectivity with people than, than you can ever get from, you know, a, a booth at a conference or a paper. So, you know, we really believe in connecting to people and connecting to communities where they are. So putting out video content, putting out audio content, really listening to our passion and our authenticity in this space in terms of what we, what we want to convey. For us, that's just had such an amazing cut through in a market that's actually portraying such a veneer of being correct all of the time. I say the other thing as well is 
it nicely lowers the bar when you talk to people because uh, from our perspective, actually, you know, the the main thing that I really wanted to, to, to get across with 11FS was a place where people can really be themselves. So from my perspective, being in a situation where the exactly like this conversation will be, will be exactly like we would be when we're talking to the CEO of a bank or the board of a bank. So, you know, it kind of level sets where people expect us to come in and, and, and talk because, you know, dress like this, talking like this, that's how we are, whether it's me sitting at my house or whether it's in the boardroom of a bank. That's fantastic. So let's talk a little bit about the, the fintech scene. Uh, you, you're obviously based in the UK, but you cover the entire globe. Can we start by you telling us a little bit about the scene in the UK? You know, in many respects, it has advanced at a faster pace than you know, its counterparts. Uh, a lot of it has been driven by regulation. But you know, curious to hear your take about you know how did it evolve and, and where do you think it's going? Yeah, I think the um, the scene in the UK has, has definitely uh, kind of accelerated away. I'd say the. I mean, obviously, there's been some counter pressures to that with Brexit and everything that's been happening over the last uh, last couple of years. But I'd say the the sort of melting pot pressure that we had coming out of 2008 with everything that happened with the financial crisis, really the regulator in the UK, the FCA and the Bank of England and what was formed, the PRA, um, really took a different approach than many global regulators. If you look at Australia or Canada or even the US, they took much more of a protect big organizations stance, whereas the FCA took a, an approach that, look, if innovation is being hindered in this industry, and this industry is so important, you know, financial services is a real blood of the, the economy and the system and everything that happens, then what's the best way to create competition? And will that competition then not only spur new players coming into the market, but fundamentally those old players to really have to step their game up? So the changes in regulatory pressures, the ability for new organizations to be created, new bank charters to and people to gain new licenses, to really start to apply that pressure uh, and apply choice and competition for customers. So with that, really, the regulatory side of things was was very much born. You know, we've seen the rise of things like the FCA's regulatory sandbox to allow new players to experiment a little bit better and and actually start to work with the regulator to shape what new propositions can be. But I think coupled with that has been there is a you know a very entrepreneurial spirit, particularly to London. You know, London has a great mix of great technological talent, great creative talent, and actually VCs from a capital perspective in terms of those big incumbent organizations as well. So I mean those things all mix in together. And I'd sort of say not only sort of mixed in together, but you know, very literally on one corner, there will be a, a technology company on one corner, there will be a creative house, you know, there's a there's everything within a, a very short period of space, you know, we often say it's London is a Silicon Valley, it's Washington, and it's New York kind of all rolled into a kind of a square mile in various different spaces. So for us, all of those things together, has really created the community and the community has then created new challenger banks and new fintechs in this space. But it's not just London, I should say. I mean, particularly on the regulatory side of things, you know, the FCA have done a great job of creating bridges and, and sharing their working out with many other countries. So, you know, the Monetary Authority of Singapore is doing amazing work now to 
to foster a very similar community offering digital banking licenses. Same over in Hong Kong with HKMA, we've seen uh, virtual banking licenses being created over there and new and interesting companies, you know, both traditional players, but actually even some uh, quite big technology players coming to the fray to really start getting involved in financial services more broadly. We've started to see, you know, pretty major changes in uh, places like Canada and places like Australia, where new organizations and, and new opportunities are being presented for, for players in that space. So I really agree with you. I think the, the regulatory part of any ecosystem is probably the first indicator that actually competition and fintech will really, really flourish. But then with that, you need to have a, a number of different ingredients to really sort of make it work. But yeah, I'd, I'd say the the community side of things, I think, is really, really important as well. You know, the, the community of from a fintech perspective, particularly in London right now, although, I mean, even in, in Europe, you know, places like Berlin are doing such an amazing job to attract talent in and then create environments where they can build interesting things that can benefit customers. But, but that community piece, I think, is so critical because being a startup, you know, you start a company up, that's great. But you need founders. You need that mix of a great CTO and a great product person, and you know somebody with drive to go and make it happen. So uh, I think that community and pulling people together where they can learn what other people's experiences are, and you know learning from first generation fintech, second generation fintechs on what to look out for and and how to scale companies effectively. All of this is uh, freely available, which is a really good thing to do. And if I'm honest, that's one of the reasons why we we really wanted to kind of start the fintech and podcast as well because actually we were in a between you know the founders of 11fs we were in a, a pretty privileged situation to have really interesting conversations whether it was with the you know the banks or the regulators or the fintechs or whatever and what we wanted to do was just share that friends in a pub having a conversation type podcast and that really was what bore the fintech inside a podcast and yeah it's gone from uh, strength to strength which is good absolutely we're only missing the beer here <laughs> so how about um we were talking in the midst of this unprecedented crisis with COVID-19. How is it going to affect the industry, right? There are definitely a lot of silver linings when it comes to fintech, but there are also a lot of challenges. I know you've talked about this in the recent past. Um, curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, it's, I mean, obviously this is like truly horrific times. You know, the amount of people who have, uh, are dying from this is, is just... Uh, you just can't even imagine, you know. And actually, I think the particularly hard thing about this uh, globally is it's it's affecting people who are most at risk. You know, the the sort of elderly or people with pre-existing medical conditions are most uh, at risk with this. Meaning, you know, there are people around the globe. I mean, my mum included. I mean, she hasn't been able to leave her house for nearly ten weeks now. You know, that is a not just a physiological effect, but the psychological effect of this thing over the long term is going to be really, really significant. So, I mean, the, the sad reality really is, is that the the world that we lived in in January probably no longer exists anymore. Definitely not from a literal sense, but I think from a psychological sense, I think people's ability to be on public transport or interacting in a day-to-day -day basis is really, really going to change. Uh, in some ways, as you say, from there are some silver linings of it. But on the other hand, then, you know, I think there's going to be a, a huge amount of negative, particularly on the psychological effects of this, that I think we probably won't even understand uh, for, until years from now. I'd say in terms of the, the financial services industry uh, itself, then really the, the pandemic is only the beginning. 
I think we're very likely, and I mean, the Bank of England, the Fed have come out and said, this is likely to be the biggest and worst recession since the early 1930s. And that is pretty terrifying, I have to say, because, you know, the, the impact that that could have you know, obviously, the globally, we're seeing unemployment levels spike to just such a ridiculous level. We're seeing defaults for loans, obviously, as businesses go insolvent or bankrupt. The knock-on effect and the dominoes that this kicks off from a global liquidity perspective is just kind of scary. The negative is going to be really negative. I think the positive is, I mean, there are a lot of very large incumbent organizations who have been kind of talking about things for such a long time. And actually, I think the real, you know, thin silver lining, if I'm honest with you, is that I'm definitely seeing many of them kind of realize the thing that has been inhibiting them has been them. It hasn't been technology. It hasn't been regulation, because these things are things that you can kind of overcome. It hasn't even been the, you know, the, the culture within their organization. It's been actually just them getting out of their own way in order to make these things happen. So good example, big incumbent banking organizations for long, you know, really, really long time, you know, well over a decade have really been challenged by remote working. In a four-week period, their strategy for remote working advanced more than the preceding 15 years. And actually, necessity is, I know, is often the the kind of mother of innovation. And, you know, in this instance, I think what that's kind of unlocked in uh, many senior figures within those banks is a is just a realization that if they have to, then they can. And what else should they have to do at this stage? And I actually think we're going to see a real different approach taken to how organizations create digital capability, because the inhibitors for distribution of funds globally for SMEs or for individuals have been dramatically inhibited by technological debt. And now that people really see that, you know, now that we we're having to pull people out of retirement who had COBOL experience to try and fix a system that hasn't been touched for 20 years. You know, these types of things, it is just not a, it's not a sustainable way of running a business in 2020. So for me, the absolute, beyond all the deaths, beyond all of the inconvenience, beyond the psychological damage that we're all no doubt kind of suffering for the, through this period, you know, the silver lining is definitely that people now realize that digital is not an option. It is just a mandatory thing to be a business in 2020. I'd say the other benefit is I'm getting to see my kids a lot more often because I'm home a lot more. So I'm definitely getting a lot better at Frisbee, which is good. Good to hear that. So we started the year with a couple of big M&As in, in the sector. You believe this is only going to increase as you know more companies find themselves with liquidity uh, troubles? You never say never. I mean, some of those companies are getting so big now and valuations are so big that um, while I, th I think some of them will have a bit of a dent put into them, there are always bigger fish, right? I mean, who would have thought the the Plaid acquisition from Visa's perspective would have come along? And actually, the you know, the amount of money that that was, whether Visa would have got a better deal now, you never know in terms of where those things are going on. But definitely, there are, there are a lot of organizations out there that are seeing this as actually as an interesting opportunity to M&A themselves to sort of bigger status. And really, financial services have been built on this, right? You know, every, every big incumbent organization started doing one thing and success and the, the capital and the, the investment potential that that brings. Uh, has led to them buying more things and doing more things. If fintech does go that route, if organizations do go that route, I think there's two critical things, which is don't break what you buy 
you know, there's many organizations who will buy a small fintech and two or three years later, you'll see all of the smart people who they bought just disappear from that organization. And that, um, that's definitely not a, a kind of a, a strategy that anybody should be kind of looking for. And then I think the other one is, you know, learn from what the incumbent banks have not done well, is that actually if you buy a system or you buy an organization, you've got to realize the benefits of, of scale. You know, you cannot suddenly, you know, if, you, if each organization has five systems and you pull them together and now you've got 10 systems, well, your operating costs just got a little bit bigger. And many organizations, you know, particularly in the banking space right now, are really, really suffering from that. The 200 years of really, really, really being successful means just crazy amounts of monolithic architecture in the back office, which now becomes almost the millstone around their neck when they're trying to be innovative or, or deliver new things. So I definitely can see it happening. And like I say, there are a lot of fintechs that are getting to the scale that they are the hunter rather than the hunted. But I think um, in these times, I think many people are really focusing on what they have to do from their perspective, because whether you're a small player in this market or whether you're a, a really a large one, then COVID and the impact that it has, both in terms of what your customers need, but also on your business models and your operating models, you know, nobody's going to be left not feeling the pain of this one. And are there any particular verticals that you're paying special attention to that you're most excited about? I think the um, the SMB space globally right now is really really interesting because I mean it, it is the I mean fundamentally it's the it's the lifeblood of any economy in any geography. They materially, you know, it's usually something like sixty to seventy percent of all businesses in any geography SMEs SMBs. So it has a material impact on GDP of countries, which is an amazing thing. But they're also perversely so dramatically underserved in all of the markets. So you know the the research that we've done, and actually the organisations that we've we've built out for different players, have really sort of started to focus on that. And naturally, that then leads you to as those organisations start to become more successful the inevitable major transformation that we'll start to see within the corporate banking space, because suddenly SMEs are getting better services and better experiences than a, you know, a hundred million dollar organization. That makes absolutely no sense at all. So I think the SMB and then sort of sneaking into the corporate space will be really interesting. The other one I'd say is uh, insurance. I genuinely believe that the insurance industry is absolutely ripe for for a very, very dramatic change and globally, you know, different types of insurance in different locations having more impact. But just the at its highest level, the sort of principle of, of having annual policies for anything in a digital world just kind of makes no sense from a consumer perspective. Again, you know, back to my analog versus digital, it's really just an analog product being digitally distributed, which is uh, not really good enough in 2020. So yeah, I think insurance is going to get uh, a lot hotter. Just around the corner, Lloyds of London. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there are loads and loads of companies doing, and actually a lot of so a company like Lloyds of London, you know, those guys, you know, if you kind of look at major inflection points in history, they've always come out of that actually with a view of how to reinvent themselves and how to stay relevant to those changing markets. It's, look, one-on-one of evolution, right, is uh, keep evolving. You know, players like that are always up for looking for those opportunities and looking for new needs in the market to meet. So I never rule out the incumbents. For any player who's got all the customers and all the money, then rule them out at your peril. But they only, they only win this fight or lose this fight, depending on your perspective, if they choose to. 
So you're talking these days with a lot of founders, with a lot of leaders in the industry. You know, what are some of the trades that you're seeing for ones that are better navigating this crisis? I'd say, in a word, humility. The thing that you sort of see, I mean, some of the best CEOs of, of banks that I kind of come across are the ones that go, look, we've done it this way for a long period of time. It's been successful, but I think there's things that we can learn. The ones that I always kind of feel are probably moving towards more of a dramatic problem are the ones who have done it the same way and expect those the same way to have the same outcome. Because again, as, as markets change and as and consumers' requirements change quite dramatically, then the things that you need to do in order to run your business successfully or create the culture that you want in your organization or uh, build product in the way that actually the market will respond to fundamentally are different. So the ones that are uh, really open to actually rethinking how they classify customer, rethinking what types of services that they offer, rethinking actually their understanding of, of actually how technology works. I mean, some of the best CEOs, I mean, particularly there's a CEO of NetWest over here called Alison Rose, who's uh, actually only recently been appointed as the overall CEO of, of NatWest, but her um, her approach to life is very much about bringing together experts who who know things and, and learning very rapidly, but not presuming that their way is the best way. And you know, I've seen I've seen that have such a disarming effect in terms of the industry, but also such a, an amazingly enabling effect in terms of their organization. But there are many out there who are following a very similar tact, I have to say, which to me means that you start to get very purpose-driven organizations, which um, for me is the best thing because culture, again, is the most critical and most important thing within those organizations. And actually, if you can get that right, if you're 50 people in a fintech, brilliant. If you're 100,000 people in a big incumbent organization, then actually you can change your market, you can change the world really, really quickly. It's fascinating. Well, before we go, David, we always like to ask our guests about some of their favorite hobbies, favorite activities outside of work. So perhaps you could tell us a little bit about that side. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, um, like Sam, I'm a kind of sports guy at heart type thing. So I'm uh, always happy to go and play some sports of some description. Basketball was predominantly my game. So if I get a chance to, uh, and a nice sunny day in the UK, then getting out there and playing basketball a little bit. The other side of me has always been gaming. I'm a big gamer. And I find um, with a job that pretty full on, computer games are just such a great way of turning my brain off. So Call of Duty, big on that. FIFA, really big on that. Bizarrely, a game called Stranded Deep has really got me into it right now, where you get stuck on a desert island and you have to uh, kind of fight your way out. So yeah, gaming, sports, and I've got two kids. I've got a six-year-old and an eight-year-old, so um, they keep me pretty busy as well. Full plate. Uh, I can see you have a lot of cool gadgets around you, so also pretty nice. Yeah, I'm very uh, inquisitive when it comes to technology, I have to say. I think the the more you can keep on top of these things and uh, yeah, really understand where the boundaries are, particularly when it comes to technology, then uh, it all helps. You know, I try and pretend like this stuff is for my work, but I see it's just because I'm a geek. Fantastic. Well, David, this has been fascinating, very illustrative. So thank you so much for joining us. I know I've learned a lot and I know our listeners will be very glad to hear this conversation. No problem. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. And you're always invited on campus.